Father, into this very moment, we invite your incredible presence. God, into our very lives, in whatever place and moment and season we find ourselves in, today we invite your speaking voice to sound your truth in us in such a way that raises hope again, that raises faith again, and that draws us to life again, we pray in Jesus' name. And God, we ask that you would give us eyes. When we come to a place like this, it's so easy to just be social. And we want to be more than just social. We want to be attentive. To see past smiles and past little mini stories and, and see hearts. And offer encouraging words and offer friendship at a deepest level. God, we want to be your church. We want to glorify your name. Father, in this moment, may our hearts be open to hear you speak into our lives and into the life of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was years ago that I received an email that I can almost recite the entirety of from a friend of mine. I was going through something at the time. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the words right out of the gate of this email that I received from my friend. He simply said, you sound like David in the cave on the way to the castle. It's funny how God forms his kings. And he went on to expound that. Today, that's the message. David in the cave on the way to the castle. Because if you've been tracking it all with the church here through the summer, we've been starting the story of David, and we're kind of following it as chronologically easily as we can. And we've gone through the incredible success in early young David's life when he killed Goliath, the Philistine from the city of Gath. And we've gone through his rise to fame where they started singing that number one hot pop single, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands, right? They have that one all through the nation. They're all dancing up a storm, right? And he, he gets put in charge of a commander, and it says all these great reports. Every time he went out for battle, things were great. David killed more than anyone else. David had greater victory than everyone else. They gave him harder tasks. He came up with greater success. It was like, wow! And then King Saul invites him into his own family. His daughter falls in love with him, and David ends up marrying the daughter of the king. Now he's like married into royalty. Does it get any better, Right? And if you're to, to plot, like, on a graph, you know, the successes of David's life over time, you know, it's this, it's this great kind of upward trajectory. That's our favorite kind of graph for personal life story, isn't it? Like, just better and better, awesomer and awesomer every time. And then we get to this changing of the times. It's like if it was a Hollywood movie, you would know because the music just got ugly, right? Dun, dun, dun. And all of a sudden, the king Saul has this jealous eye come over him. He starts to, 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 to war against David. In a real sense, he takes his spear and he tries to pin him to the wall with his spear while he's playing a harp in the same room. And fast-forwarding through all the details that we've covered in the last couple of weeks, David ends up fleeing in the middle of the night to save his own life. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. The text today is really just two verses, and all the stuff before points to these two verses, and all the stuff after points from these two verses. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 simply says this. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 were with him. David is at an all-time low. 
We already know from what we read in previous chapters, he lost his house, he lost his job, he lost his wife, he lost his his married-in family because he's trying to kill them. I mean, you thought you had in-law troubles, right? (laughs) Well, the dinner was going lovely until that spear incident. I really feel like he's not like, you know, he doesn't... (laughs) And now we find out, he just visits, and, and last Sunday Jason preached... When David flees and he he goes to this one place of kind of security and he visits a priest. And and, and we realize there how desperate his situation is. Because he goes, do you have any food for uh, my men and I? It's like, why are you alone? Uh, He's like, well, it was a really urgent matter. um, So we didn't even pack food. Like, really, David? You didn't pack food because it was so urgent? find that hard to believe. Uh, And weapons. Do you have any weapons? Because I... I you know, warrior, general, dragon slayer, whatever they call me. I, don't, I forgot to bring a sword. I didn't even bring my sling with me. I mean, it packs into my pocket. I don't know what I was thinking, right? I got nothing. Do you have any? And he goes, he looks around. He's like, man, the only weapon we have in a temple is this huge sword from Goliath of Gath. Remember the giant that you killed? Ah, David says, there is no sword like that. You don't just go down to Walmart and buy David, you know, Goliath's sword, right? It was well known. And so here's David, has lost all these things, and now he's got a little bit of bread that he's taken from this place of worship, and he's got this sword, and then this kind of funny thing happens. Funny slash tragic. It says, that day, David fled from Saul. This is in chapter 21. And went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Whoa, 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 isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Kish said to his servants, um, look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Get this guy out of my house. Now, David killed Goliath from Gath. You know his life is bad when he shows up in Gath with Goliath's sword. You know he must be running from something back home and he is very afraid because he strolls into the enemy's camp with the champion sword. Like, I don't know how he did it. What's up, guys? Like, how do you do I've never killed Goliath. Never killed a giant. I've never killed, just to be honest. Just put it out there make it clear. But I did play ice hockey. It's very similar. I remember stuff would get, let's call it heated, in an ice hockey game when we were kids, you know? And it was always like, oh, it was num- we don't know the other team's name because they're the enemy, but we know their number, right? It was number 18, we'll get them next time. And then number 18, letter, wham! And body contact is the greatest invention in sports. Put out there, shout out to body contact. Boom! You hit number 18, and you get them back again, and then number 18 says, it was number 25, and boom! And then you get that one. And sometimes at the end of a hockey game... The kids, with their incredibly accurate sense of justice, would believe that justice wasn't quite served, so they would get changed and they'd wait outside to give another kind of penalty. 
And I remember one game that was rather heated, and I just remember the feeling. This is how I picture David coming into gas. I was always quick to get changed from hockey. I wasn't going to hang out with those guys and I'd go home, so I get changed. I walk into the, into the lobby, and it was like, oh, that's all. The, and there was this two rows of all the other team, and I was always, I wasn't always like the towering giant that I am now. I used to be kind of short for my age. And uh, these two huge rows of like eight foot tall 12 year olds, and they're all like, that's how I remember it. I'm, I'm sure it's accurate in my childish memory. But that's how they were just down the road, and they're kind of looking me up. And like, no, no, he's number 12. He's okay. And I remember walking through, and it's like, you know? Here's David. is so low. He shows up in Gap with Goliath's sword. And they recognize him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't this the guy with the number one pop tune from Israel? This is the, I saw the music video myself. It's the guy. They recognize him, and David's like, this was a really bad idea. He's by himself. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have guards. He doesn't have soldiers. He's got this monstrous sword and some bread. I don't think he has a change of clothes. He probably stinketh. So he pretends to be insane. It reminds me, and you know, this is one of the telltales that you yourself have found yourself in a cave. Friends, this is why the message is important, because you will end up in a cave. If you haven't already been to a cave, chances are you might be in a cave this morning. And if you're not in a cave this morning, you've never been in a cave before, chances are you will visit a cave of your very own. And one of the ways you're going to know you're there is you start thinking things like, how can it get any worse? What more could possibly go wrong? And so here we have this last vestibule of, of dignity is stripped from David. As he's, he, he has to pretend to be insane. Hey, this is the guy that everyone sings about as a hero. Oh, no, wait, my bad. He's a raving madman. It wasn't enough to lose his house and his career, his family and his hopes and his dreams and his security and flee into the night with nothing. Friends, you know you're in a cave when you start thinking things like that. What more could possibly go wrong? I remember when my friend Dan was in a cave and his life was just crumbling all around. And he calls me and he goes, Marcel, pray for me. I'm on my way into a counselor's meeting. I remember his voice said, he said, his word said, I can't imagine what else could possibly go wrong. Went at the counseling meeting, he came out, he called me again. He goes, guess what? Like, what? My truck just got stolen. What do you say? Nothing. What do you say? Nothing. I find it fascinating what happens to David when he gets to the cave. It says his family hears about it. How does his family hear about it? Because he leaked the information to someone somehow, somewhere. And they came around him like a good family should. And then it says these other people come. Right? It says those who are in distress or in debt or discontented. You have to realize the categories of these aren't like, yeah, I owe this guy five bucks. I'm going to go hang out with David. We're talking about debt in this time. It wasn't like you had fancy programs to get out of debt. It meant I owe you money and you were coming for me to get it. And maybe I owe you money. I wasn't so scared of you, but I was also owing you money and I also owed you money. And you guys were getting together and you were hot on my trail. Like it was enough to flee all of your life circumstances. That's how bad the debt situation was. 
People who are in distress, same thing. Discontented wasn't just like, I don't really think this job is for me. You know, I'm thinking of a change. It wasn't just like mildly discontent. It was like, I cannot take the way my life is going anymore. I am ready for an absolute and dramatic change in every way. And so they pick up all they have, and they move, and they go to David. One of the most interesting things about a cave is the people that join you there. I remember before I went into a cave of my own, and mine was probably, poetically, was eight years ago to this weekend, August long weekend, eight years ago, when my incredible wife of 16 years came to me and in one short conversation shared with me all the things she had done that I didn't know about to sabotage our marriage and shared with me what she was going to do and how the rest of life didn't have us together in the same situation. one conversation she walked off to a party and my family was visiting from the at that time, I was lead pastor of Park Drive Church, just down the road here, and I was working with a missions agency called Pioneers, and, and ended up having to design the Park Drive Church, much of faith, design the mission agency, and, and I remember, it wasn't the congregation that knew me, to me like Velcro. They're texting me every day, every two days. They're calling me every week. They're Skype calling me from across the country. How's it going? Just checking in. Like, it was amazing. And it teaches you how to do that for other people. And I remember as over the last number of years of my life, I've made it a real point when friends are going through something like divorce or something like a tragic loss or death or incredible seasons of grief. I, I make it a point to force myself into their life. And it astounds me how quickly someone will turn to you and say, I have no one in my life. And friends, it has nothing to do with how awesome you are. It has nothing to do with the incredible wisdom you're passing on. You're not saying It has only to do with the fact that you're listening and loving. When you're in the cave, you just want presence. And you get surrounded by these people. I find it really interesting. When I read Psalm 57... It's a bit funny. The Bible is very funny to me. And uh, not all the time, but a lot of the time. In Psalm 57, as Jeremy just read, it's, it's the one psalm that literally says before it starts, this was written by David while he was in the cave, fleeing from Saul. Like, oh, thanks. Now I know where the reference is. But in, in the NIV translation of it, he talks about, first of all, he says, it's, it's in you I take refuge. 
I'll take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And then he goes down and Verse 4, he says, I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows and whose tongues are like swords. Forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, wild lions. You know who I think he's talking about? The 400 vagabonds who just showed up on his doorstep. He's writing from the cave, and I can see the metaphor. The poet in me can totally relate. There's this cave, there's this darkness, there's this emotional covering. He's going, Lord, you know what? It's not the cave. The cave is just a thing. What I'm really taking refuge in is you. And in the same way this cave offers darkness, it's like a a mother hen over her chicks. And I'm safe in the shadow of your wing. This cave is like the wing. This is the reality. The spiritual reality is that you care for me. He goes, and meanwhile... I have these lions around me, these ravenous people who are distressed and discontented and in debt, and their tongues are like arrows and spears, and that's who I'm surrounded with. I think that's the reality he's talking about. Just these people who come alongside. (laughs) But it's much more than simply misery loves company. Friendship is born at the point of commonality. And if you're willing to show me your weakness... I'm all the more willing to show you mine. And so brokenness breeds openness that together brings healing in the most beautiful sense. So David's got this perspective that God alone is going to save them. We all get in the same kind of funk in our head. We start asking, when you're in a cave, you start asking about the past. Oh God, why did this happen? Oh God, where were you? Why did you let this happen? We ask about the past, and every question you're going to ask about the past, you're not going to get an answer for. And then we look at the present and we go, what now? Like I'm out of options. I don't have bread. I don't have a family. I don't have a job. i got a really big sword. What am I supposed to do with that? What now? And if you're like me at all, you end up with sleepless nights and your mind just racing, trying to find solutions. You kind of go down that path. Nope, that's no solution. You go down this path. That's not a solution. You go down this path. That's not a solution. And you can can picture exactly the moment maybe when you were in a cave before. For myself, I can remember sitting outside at 2.30 in the morning on these steps with a guitar, writing a song and crying out to God. And if I picture it, if I look at the song or read the lyrics again, I'm right back in that place because the emotion is so profound. We ask God what happened. We say, God, what now? We think, what's next? And if we're to do that graph, the kind of the success graph over time, and then we come to the cave, it looks just like this. Wham! But the hard part is right there, you don't have the sense that the arrow's going to go back up. You just start going, how deep is this arrow going to go? How much farther does this darkness get? And you get in this discouraged place. Which is why we need God's perspective. David was in a cave, yes. But he was in a cave on the way to the castle. And he had no idea. Oh, he had prophetic words before. He had this hope that would come and go in his heart during. But he had no idea of the path. Because see, friends, we always want the path that looks just like this. Right? Proverbs 16, 9 says, In a man's heart he plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. I want to go to that mountain. I want to be a man of faith. God goes, oh, I know the way to faith. It's over here. And you go through trial and difficulty and obstacle and challenge, and you end up on this mountain of faith. Oh, how did I get here? Oh, 
Thank you, Jesus. Right? Oh, Lord, make me humble. Oh, the place of humility. That's down here. Like, what the, I, I, I want, right? Oh, God, I want to be generous. Oh, well, then you're going to lose all you have, and it's all going to be taken. And then at the bottom, I'm going to ask you to give away $5, and it's going to cost you everything. Right? We all this human hope. We hope it looks like this. And David's in the same place. He ends up in the cave. But friends, he's in the cave on the way to the castle. And don't ask and dwell about the past. Well, God, where were you? And why did you? And why me? Don't go there. Because his answer to every one of those questions is always the same. It looks a lot more like, friend, just give me your hand and let me walk with you. And over time, I will show you all you need to know. Not all you want to know, but certainly all you need to know. God was not shocked by David in the cave. It's not like, so where did David go? He was, he was in the castle a minute ago. Where did I put David? Uh, oh, he's in the cave. What are you doing in the cave? He's not shocked by that. He's not like fearful. He's not worried. He's going, man. He forgot the sling. He didn't pack any clothes. What am I going to do with this guy? He needs a wife. He had a wife. He lost his wife. What is it? Right? He's not worrying and freaking out about David in the cave. God is not scared. He's not worrying. He's not shocked. He's not amazed. He's not stunned. He's all the things that we need to be in that moment. And so David rightly says, God, it's under your wing, under the shadow of your wing that I take refuge. And the peace we gain is the peace of presence, of just being near the God who is able and the God who cares. When you come to this place of faith and go, regardless of how I got here, there's a God who cares for me. And as long as a human has breath, there is hope. Because Jesus made a way for every life, every soul, every path, every footstep, every journey. That's the gospel. It's that it is for everyone, all the time, in every circumstance, in every situation. So David begins to align himself with God's perspective. I was reading a book recently that touches similarly on a topic. It's just called The Making of a Leader. He highlights three things. He says in every leader's life, through history, through scripture, through the present, there are three tools that God uses that that bar none do an incredible job. He said isolation, feeling alone, crisis, and conflict. And all three of those will put you in a cave. If there's a banner above the cave, David wrote Cave of Adulam, but it should have said, Isolation, Crisis, Conflict, Enter Here. (laughs) He had it all. He said, God uses those tools. Because friends, let me remind you, God is far less concerned about what you do. Far more concerned with who you become. He's far less concerned with what you do. Even what you do for Him. And far more concerned with who you become. And scripture is full of it. Ephesians 3.19 says, We are to be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Full, fully, full, full. It's like he's stuttering. You're so full. Right? Ephesians 4.13 says, Attaining to the full measure of Christ. Oh, here's God's plan for you. Just be exactly like Jesus. And when you're done that, come back and we'll have some more homework for you. Like, oh yeah, okay, that's easy. I'll just be exactly like Christ. That sounds awesome. That's a long way from where I am today. That's a long way from how I react in moments. Right? I have a beautiful reminder sitting in the front row called my daughter. 
of one of those awesome moments when I was not like Christ, when I was working on a car and the car wasn't obeying. And, uh, and I took the blessed wrench that I was working with and sent it for a field trip into the field. It's the, only, it's the only time. It's the only time I've ever hocked a wrench. It was a good throw, too. We went. And she's this constant reminder, if I ever start getting frustrated, there's not like a voice in my head, there's a voice in my living room that says, oh no, hide the wrenches, you know. (laughs) Scripture is clear that God's desire for you and for me is to become like Jesus. And there is no better place to step in that journey than in the cave. There's no better place to trust Him than when there's nothing else. I remember a phrase one time shared by a musician He simply said, Jesus will never be all you need until Jesus is all you have. Because as long as there's some other security, I cling to that. Oh, Lord, I trust you alone. And what? No, nothing. What? No, just you. As long as I have strength and ability. I, 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 I say I trust in Jesus and I lean completely on myself. As long as I think I have a good plan, I'll say, oh, Jesus, lead me down your path, which I hope is the same one as me because I'm going this way anyway. Jesus will never be all you need until Jesus is all you have. So David comes to this incredible place where everything is stripped away so that Jesus can rebuild into his life. Because David was in a cave. The frenzy was on its way to the castle. The funny thing about this metaphor is it's hard to picture like how slaying giants affects me today. It's hard to picture how reigning in a castle relates to me today. But the strange beauty of Scripture is there's some really clear sections in Revelations and in Daniel that talk about those who are given authority to judge. Some of the saints of God who will become priests of God, who will reign with God. It says in Daniel chapter 7, verses 27, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. Oh, wait a sec, there are castles? Like, there is reigning and ruling? There is authority and dominion? Like, somehow, somewhere, and it's not completely clear, but the message is there, that the end of God's design for you and for me to become like Christ is that someday He is looking for people to whom He can give His own authority to both in extending the kingdom here on earth, but also in ruling in the kingdom that is to come. I don't even know what that means. Honestly, it freaks me out. But it's there in Scripture. And you may be in a cave, but you're on the way to a castle. See, David in the cave knew he lost his wife. But he had no idea that on the way to the castle he was going to win her back along with children who would rule and reign in his line and lineage. See, David knew when he was in the cave that he had lost the house that he lived in. He left it in the dead of night with no provisions. He knew that's what he lost, but he had no idea that he was going to inherit a palace. David knew in the cave... That he had lost the town where everyone knew his name and sang his praises, literally. He had no idea that he was going to inherit a city that would bear his name forever. David was in a cave, 
He was on the way to the castle. It's funny how God forms his kings. Friends, let's pray. Jesus, your story that you are writing in our hearts and our lives is so big and so grand and so glorious. And God, it is far too easy for us on earth to forget the glory of the coming kingdom and to forget the glory of the God because we don't see you fully or clearly. The God who calls us. And Father, today, we want to pray for those who right now may be in a cave of their own. They might feel isolated even though they're surrounded by family and friends. They might feel like they're in distress. Or maybe they're in debt. Or maybe they're discontented at levels that are crushing and confusing, and hurting their hearts. God, hurting people makes such bad choices. So Lord, we pray for your grace to meet us in the cave, for the perspective that David had, that we are under the shelter of God's own wing, protected by your own hand. May that perspective fill us. God, I pray that we in your church would learn well the power of presence, the power of just being with people in the suffering and the darkness of the cave. Father, may we have hope rise within us that we may be in the cave. We may have been in a cave. We may yet go to a cave. That we are in a cave on the way to a castle. And you are drawing us to be molded as the image of yourself. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to love you. We want to find you. We want to make you known in the nations. We want to surrender our lives. So take us in this place, no matter what stage of the journey we are on. Fill us with the beauty of your presence and your hope and your faith and your love, we pray. In Jesus' name.